This is episode 243 of Aloha Mora for April 15th, 2018. Hello everyone and welcome to this brand new episode of Lohamora. I am Rosie Morris. Rosie? Who's that? <laughs> Long time no see. <laughs> welcome back, Miss Rosie. Thank you. And who might I be talking to? Oh, sorry. I suppose <laughs> I should say my name as well. Um, I'm Katie Carty Hiley. And as well as Rosie, who is not a guest, but kind of feels <laughs> like one for her first episode back in, in quite a while. Um, we also have Claudia Falcone with us. Is that how you pronounce your, your name? Uh, not really, but that's fine. <laughs> no, tell us what it's supposed to be. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It's Claudia Falcone, but that's because. It's an Italian name pronounced in a German way, so I don't expect anyone to get that. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> well, welcome, Claudia. We are Thank so you. very happy to have you. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what got you into Harry Potter? And if you want to share your Hogwarts house and Patronus and Wand and any of that, feel free. Okay. Uh, I'm a Ravenclaw, and my Ilvermorny house is a Wampus, but... Frankly, I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, however, <laughs> I am, I'm a, I'm a bit like Cat in that I'm a Ravenclaw, but I see myself moving towards Slytherin as I get older. Nice. Uh, my Patronus is a vol, which I really don't like because it's basically cat food. What's oh, a vol? No, vol is really like a mouse type thing. Oh. It's like it's a kind little of like, rodent. Yeah, somewhere between a mouse and like a shrew and that kind of small small rodent creature type thing. But yeah. they're very cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just that most of the time when I see a vole, it's not very alive anymore. <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um I got into Harry Potter as a child, like most people probably, and I read the books in German as they were coming out in Germany. And then I think with the Half Blood Prince, I started reading them in English. Hmm. Yeah, very cool. So you grew up in Germany. Yes. So I'm from Germany, but I've been living in the UK for about four years now. Cool. Very cool. I was wondering because yeah, your accent is definitely a mix. Because um, we have Aurelia on the show fairly often, or yeah. on Speak Beastie, I hear her a lot, mm-hmm. um, who is, her accent is definitely more predominantly German. Um, so I, I could hear a little bit of that in you, uh, but I was like, but it's not quite the same. <laughs> so that's, I love that mix. It's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think Aurelia probably spent a lot of time in the US, right? Because she's got more of an American sound to it, I think. I think she was in, was it New Zealand for Oh, while? okay. I think so, that yeah. Maybe what, Yeah. But also a, a lot of mix as well. a lot of Germans. I, I did German as a subject at school and went on a lot of exchanges and things. And pretty much all of the German kids that I met spoke English with American accent because they had oh, learned really? their English <laughs> whilst watching things like American TV. So they picked up the mannerisms <gasps> of American. So it was quite interesting. Yeah, I learned English. I learned English while watching Doctor Who. So that that's there we go. English There's your British accent. Like <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you and Aurelia would get along really well. <laughs> So for this episode, we are going to be doing a chapter revisit, going to Half-Blood Prince, my favorite book personally, chapter 22, After the Burial. 
So I would definitely recommend that you read that chapter again before listening to get maximum enjoyment from the episode. And if you want to go the extra mile, go back and re-listen to episode 140, where Eric, Kristen, and Michael tackled this chapter. It's a really fun episode, and uh, I think you will enjoy it even more listening to that one and this one back to back, because I'm sure we will bring up different things than they did. It's always good to get different perspectives on the same content. I can't believe that was over a hundred episodes ago. Yeah, right? Gosh. <laughs> <That's> crazy. <laughs> and this episode is sponsored by Vincent Barbuta on Patreon. I hope that's been, I hope I pronounced your name right, Vincent. Um thank you very much for being our sponsor and our Patreon. Thank you. Woo! Thank you, Vincent. <laughs> And you guys out there can also become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month. And you get all sorts of rewards, which include things like access to our private Facebook group, Dumbledore's Office, at the $2 level, um, where fans can chat with each other and the Alohomora hosts about the latest Wizarding World news. There's also a special decal at the $5 level, featuring the Alohomora logo, the beautiful lock symbol. You can get a private reading from Michael at the $15 level of the chapter of your choice from the Harry Potter books. Perhaps you might want to listen to him reading After the Burial. It is an excellent chapter and I know he does it excellently. Yes. Or you can also get things like a vintage Alohomora t-shirt at the $25 level and a private Skype chat with the host of your choosing. We're going to continue to release all sorts of exclusive tidbits from our, for our sponsors, so please do visit patreon.com forward slash Alohomora to find out more. Three turns should do it. Chapter Revisit. Half blood bits and his wand snapped into. Chapter 22. Which was sad. After the burial. Alright, so do you want to go ahead and give us a little summary of the chapter we're going to be covering today, Rosie? Absolutely. Although I think I might just take the one that Eric had before. So if they are listening to episode 143 or no, 140, and then this one back to back, this might sound a little familiar. <laughs> <laughs> the chapter begins as Harry reflects on his recent failures with Slughorn and Malfoy. Ron and Hermione have their apparition test later in the day, but Harry, not being 17 yet, is not allowed to take part. So he has to go and... um basically have his regular potions lesson with Slughorn and there's only a handful of students in the class at the time. He tries to kind of have another success, he tries to talk to Slughorn on his own but Slughorn's having none of it um, and after receiving a letter from Hagrid telling him that Aragog has died, Harry resolves to try his luck with Slughorn and as a last ditch effort uh, tries using Felix Felicis to acquire the elusive memory once and for all but it doesn't quite go to plan and all sorts of shenanigans occur. Indeed they do, which makes this a fan favourite chapter, I do believe. It is one of my favourites. It's just such a brilliant chapter. <laughs> it's really funny as well, yeah. I think Lots that's of why humor I like in there. it so much. Yeah, I'm a sucker for humour, so... <laughs> I think well, it's, is... it's kind of refreshing to have a chapter where some of the regular rules are kind of put to one side and anything can happen. And that's the kind of thing that can happen when you take a potion that's pretty much restricted on all levels. So yeah. <laughs> that's a very good point, yeah. <laughs> well, when I was reading this episode, I went and just, I made a few notes of things that stood out to me during this reread. 
Um, and I know Claudia did the same. And Rosie, we've got some comments here from our listeners uh, who had some questions for us. So okay. we're just going to jump around and talk about what we want to talk about. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So my first question is, why did Harry and Ron never tell Hagrid that Aragog almost had them killed in their second year? Hmm. <laughs> because in my mind, I just for, for whatever reason, I thought they had. Maybe that's a movieism. I'm not sure. Um, although I don't, it couldn't be because he was in Azkaban that whole time. Um, yeah. But I went back and checked through the books as as well as I could, just doing a cursory search, and I could not find any mention of them telling him what actually happened in the forest. <laughs> so, is <laughs> no, that like it... to spare his feelings or what? <laughs> I I wonder if it would have made a difference anyway, because it's not like Hagrid ever believes that any of his creatures are in any way dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would probably be the main reason why they didn't, was Hagrid wouldn't believe them or, you know, he'd just kind of uh, kind of shrug it off as being, you <laughs> oh, know, just what, that's just play. what spiders do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's funny that it come, comes as such a surprise to him that the only reason the other spiders were not eating him this entire time was because of Aragog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe it gave him a little reality check that he needed. Maybe. <laughs> it does show how like dedicated Aragog was to Hagrid though. Like they are yeah. proper killer spiders, so for him to have trusted Hagrid as much as he did and, you know, actually did kind of let Harry and Ron ish escape the forest. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it's like it it shows that Hagrid's right to have some respect for the creatures and that respect will be returned, but it only goes so far. Yes. So, Claudia, what was your next question? So, after Harry, Ron and Hermione get the letter from Hagrid, their reaction is not very nice, especially Ron and Hermione's. So I wonder, do you think that especially Ron and Hermione are being really insensitive about Hagrid's grief? Because they seem to think that he expects them to go down to the burial and actually grieve for Aragog, which they're completely outraged about, whereas actually they should just be there for their friend. Yeah, I'm totally with you on this one. And I I don't know why that didn't cross my mind when I was reading it. But once I saw your comment here, I was like, oh, my God, she's totally right. That was so they were just being jerks. Like, I, I do get that Ron really hates spiders, <laughs> so it would be difficult <laughs> for him. But the thing's dead. It's not going to hurt him. And yeah. <laughs> Hermione especially, I mean, they were all right there with him and trying to help with the whole Buckbeak thing and wanted to stay with him when Buckbeak was being executed, but he wouldn't let them. He was like, no, get out of here. You don't want to see that. Um, so it is strange that a few years later, when he asks them to come down for this burial, they just have no intention of doing so. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's, it's partly the situation that they're not allowed out of the school after school hours and that kind of thing. Um, That's so never for, stopped them before. I, think, I know, but yeah. I think with Hermione, if, if it's already something that you don't want to do and then you're also going to get in trouble if you're caught doing it, then it just makes it kind of even worse. And yeah, it's it's the kind of thing yeah, that Hermione would be like, no, that's, it's not worth it. Um, and I think if, if Hagrid had asked them personally rather than sent a letter, they probably would have had a different response. Um, mm. But they don't have to be, worry about being sensitive in that moment because Hagrid's not actually around. Um, 
So it might have been different if if they'd kind of run into him in the entrance hall or something and seen him crying and therefore would have accepted going to the funeral. But yeah, I think they think that they can kind of be there for Hagrid during school hours on a regular day rather than having to actually go down to grieve for a dead spider. Yeah. (laughs) If it were like the year before with Umbridge being there, I could see their hesitation a bit more. But the worst that would happen is they get another detention with Snape and yeah, those aren't fun. And I know Harry wants to put all of his energy into Quidditch, uh, being the captain and so forth, but I think it would have been worth the detention personally. <laughs> yeah. It's especially Ron that is being really horrible. So I find the, the found the bit in the book and he says, Hagrid expects us to go down there and cry over its horrible hairy body. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, just get over it. oh ron (laughs) i guess it you know the thing did try it well at least its descendants did kind of try to eat him and harry so yeah but hagrid doesn't know that so again if they had just not shown if none of them had shown up that really would have hurt his feelings yes yes But I was impressed, um, not with what Ron just did, but what he does next <laughs> when they're talking about getting the memory from Slughorn. I had forgotten it was actually Ron's idea for Harry to take the Felix Felicis. So I was like, oh, wow, Ron does have brilliant ideas from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Always the tone of surprise. Yes. <laughs> and I don't recall, do you remember in the movie whose idea it was? I feel like it wasn't Ron's, but I I could just be remembering wrong. I'm not super familiar with the movies at all, so I really don't know. I can't remember if they actually have like a a moment where they introduce it, or if they just kind of cut to it. Yeah, I think you might be right that they just kind of cut to it. Well, they should have stuck that in the movie. Give Ron a little more love. (laughs) (laughs) And... This is something else that I had just completely forgotten about um, until this reread that Ron comments on a couple of girls walking by looking very sad. And Hermione says, well, of course they are. Their little brother was just killed by Fenrir Greyback. And I just, for first moment of silence for the little Montgomery boy. Because that's super sad, even though we didn't know him as a character i still see him as like a little colin creepy and that makes me super sad (laughs) i think it's even more important to to reaffirm that ongoing threat out in the real world as well yeah you know they they may be feeling like they're safe at school but you know the darkness is still there and they still need to fight absolutely it's like a constant threat throughout this book that you get the kind of humor and the fun and the teenage hormones. And then just every now and again, there's news about, you know, is it Susan Bones's parents or aunt or something who gets killed? Yeah. And you just get all yeah, this horrible aunt. news throughout. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that um, when you haven't recently read the book. I know it, I had forgotten a lot of that until this reread, because currently... In my constant reread, I'm in the middle of Order of the Phoenix. I haven't gotten quite this far. <laughs> um, and I have... My memory works in funny ways. Like, my short-term memory, fantastic. Long-term, not so much. So <laughs> when I get back to something like this, I have to, like, remind myself what happened that year. 
Um, and I know some people say Half-Blood Prince is like the forgettable book. Nobody can remember what happens in it. But <laughs> I don't find that necessarily to be the case. It's just little things like people dying that we don't know very well um, are easy to yeah. forget. Little <laughs> things like people dying, you know. Forgettable. Sorry. Nothing important. <laughs> that sounded horrible. <laughs> I'm not a horrible person, you guys, I swear. You'll see in the death episode coming up. <laughs> I think what Claudia said about the kind of the comedy and the darkness coming kind of side by side is really true for this book. Um, it, it very much sums up, you know, being 16 and having those extreme swings of emotion um, yeah. for, for a teenager. So if you put those extremes as being, you know, completely and utterly in love and then the Dark Lord is coming back, you know, <laughs> those are the most extreme that you can get. So um, that's a very good point. It's, it's a nice kind of... Um, I guess, metaphor for that stage of teenagehood. <laughs> yeah. And this is the year that Fred and George opened their shop. So we've mm -hmm. got that humor thrown in. Cause, the yeah. lightest of the light and the darkest of the dark. Yes. Oh, yeah. Beautifully put. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> With a whole lot of grey in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But another quote that stood out to me and, you know, Harry hears this, and it's probably not the first or the last time he hears this, but he keeps forgetting it, especially <laughs> in the next book, when he wants to just leave everyone behind and do it himself, because he, he thinks that's going to protect them all. Um, Hermione says, Harry, you've got to get that memory, she said. It's all about stopping Voldemort, isn't it? These dreadful things that are happening are all down to him. And it's just a good reminder for the reader and to Harry, if he's paying attention, um, how important the memory is. Because he keeps obsessing over Draco and not... I mean, he's tried to get the memory a few times by this point, obviously. But he's not really trying to find more creative ways of doing it. He just keeps trying the same thing and getting the same result. Um, and it kind of reminded me of the decision between Hallows and Horcruxes. And I feel like... In this book, if Draco is the Hallows, that's what he's focusing on when he should be focusing on Slughorn, which is the Horcruxes, literally. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a really good parallel between the two books there. Yeah. And maybe this was, you know, one of the things he needed to experience to, in the next book, be able to make the wise decision and focus on the Horcruxes. Uh, once he realized, oh, crap, like, it's not just one person we have to kill. There's a lot of stuff we have to do first. Um, but I, I just really liked that quote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hermione knows what's up, as usual. And now let's take a quick break from our discussion to hear from this episode's sponsor. Hey, listeners, this is Allison flowing in to ask a very important question. Why... Is Harry Potter still wearing glasses when contacts are so much simpler? And ordering your contacts just got even easier. Uh, as you all know, if you listen to the show, I'm a teacher and I have pretty horrible eyes, like really horrible eyes. So my contacts are pretty essential in my life, but I don't have a lot of time to schedule doctor's appointments. I mean, it means taking time off work and it means calling people, which is definitely not my ideal situation. But recently I tried simple contacts and it was easier than casting a pisky on my vision to make things better. 
It took less than five minutes to take a vision test that was reviewed by licensed ophthalmologists. And in between Netflix episodes, I had my normal lenses, even my ones for my astigmatism, ordered and being shipped to me. I even received text and email updates to help me resolve an issue when one of my tests kind of went wrong after my computer did something funky with it. And the vision test was only 20 bucks, which, I mean, that's incredible if you try and add up how much it costs to go see the eye doctor. And also I did it at home in my living room. I think I was even in my pajamas, which was awesome times. And I have a, well, now I have a one-year updated prescription um, that I can use, and the lens prices cannot be beat. And now, listeners, you can receive $30 off your contacts by visiting simplecontacts.com open or entering code open at checkout. So again, that's simplecontacts, S-I-M-P-L-E-C-O-N-T-A-C-T-S dot com slash open or entering the code OPEN, O-P-E-N, at checkout. I mean, of course, this isn't a replacement for a periodic full eye health exam, but it made normal contact ordering so much easier. So let's just let Harry worry about breaking his glasses or dealing with them in a thunderstorm and visit simplecontacts.com open today. And I'll see you in Diagon Alley. Thank you so much for that, Allison. Now let's go ahead and dive back into this chapter. Yeah, so the next bit we get to is the Slughorn's potion class with the the three students. And I think, apart from the fact that he has got obvious favourites and ignores everyone else, he's actually (laughs) not a bad teacher. So in this one, he asked them to make him something fun. And I think that's a really creative kind of prompt for the potions class. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting lesson, but at the same time, it is a bit... The teacher didn't bother planning anything that day. (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Like, just watch this video. I'll be over here grading. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) But those were the best lessons when you just get to watch a video, right? They are. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Speaking as an ex-teacher... Um... (laughs) (laughs) From the student's perspective, anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of teachers like Slughorn. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, that's not a good thing. No. <laughs> but yeah, I think out of out of all of the kind of transient teachers that Harry has, Slughorn probably comes second to Lupin. Yes. Whereas yeah. Slughorn mm-hmm. is actually like a professional teacher. He was a teacher before, then he retired, and now he's come back. So he he has had that like kind of long history of knowing how to teach, which is rare for Harry, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially compared to Snape. There's a you can really tell the difference. Yeah, Snape is very much a textbook teacher. This is what it, it says, and well, this is what you will learn. Whereas Slughorn seems well, to be a little bit more creative, perhaps. I I have to disagree with you on that one a little bit. Um, Okay. (laughs) Because Slughorn is literally getting them to make potions out of a textbook. Whereas Snape was putting his own potion, um, uh, his take on a potion up on a blackboard. And I think the students were getting more of the right way to do it from him or the more nuanced way. Whereas clearly the author of this book was not as great of a, a potion maker as Snape is because there are times when Hermione follows the instructions to a T this and is true. still yeah. does not get a good result. Um, and it's the Half-Blood Prince's annotations that makes it Fair enough. Okay, so that. Snape is the person who wrote the textbook and then teaches it. <laughs> right. Whereas Slughorn, yeah. 
does think quite right. much better at motivating his students to want yeah. to do well. And not just giving them a zero grade if they mess one little thing up when five other people did even worse. <laughs> I also feel like Slug Slughorn encourages individual experiments. So there's the one lesson where they make antidotes and they really have to think about the theory of potion making or whatever. Whereas Snape mm. just gave them a recipe and then expected yeah, them expect to, them to follow it. Yeah, that's a really good idea. A really good point. And clearly, his teaching methods work. Um, because he was the teacher when Lily and Snape were in school, and they turned out to be amazing potion makers. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you can see the uh, the results from his teaching is clearly mm -hmm. it can be good. So he's definitely not doing everything wrong by any means. <laughs> and even if he plays favorites, at least he doesn't... I don't know what the opposite term for that would be, but he doesn't <laughs> single out people to bully like Snape does. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's a very encouraging teacher. Um, mm -hmm. But speaking of that class, Harry makes the Elixir of Euphoria, which sounds amazing, and I want some. <laughs> but I'm really curious. Um, at the end of the, of the lesson, he tries to get Slughorn to drink some because he thinks that might help get the memory. But Slughorn hightails it out of the classroom before he can even get the sentence out of his mouth. But then it says <laughs> Harry just cleans out his cauldron and leaves. And I'm like, hey. Bottle that stuff. Take it with you. You spent this entire lesson making it. I'm sure it could come in handy. Yeah, potions class is very wasteful. It is. It really is. Most of the Maybe time Harry doesn't it. trust his own potion. I guess. That's probably quite true. I wouldn't but anyway. After following the Half-Blood Prince for as long as he has and getting such yeah. good results, I think I would have. And, and even Slughorn comments on, oh, you put peppermint in it, which would help with nausea or something like that. Um, <laughs> True. I guess that's an interesting point. Like, how much has Harry actually learned from Snape slash Half-Blood Prince? Because he, if he's just, again, following the recipes rather than actually picking up any of the tips and the talent, yeah, can he do that by himself? Probably Heck not. No. So, no, I don't think so. Nope, yeah, so it, all. it's all coming down to Snape again. Like, mm -hmm. Snape's type of teaching is follow this rule rather than know about why it's being used. Whereas Slughorn introduces the reason why it's being used. Oh, you've used that peppermint to, make, to help with nausea or whatever. Like, it gives you a little bit more background information as to why you've done it, which is useful yep. for teaching. <laughs> Indeed. And I love how he just puts it down to genetics. Like, oh, yeah. Lily was oh, good at this. So <laughs> obviously you are too. <laughs> which maybe some people just do have a natural gift with that. I could see that being the case. But that's not Harry. <laughs> No, bless him. Yes. And then we get Ron and Hermione coming back from their apparition tests, which, of course, Hermione passes with flying colors, and Ron almost does, but he leaves half of an eyebrow behind, so he has failed. <laughs> but I do love in this scene how Hermione is trying to soothe him and say, oh, yeah, that was really unfair. What a jerk. Whereas yeah. earlier in the series, she would have been like, but Ron, you know, half an eyebrow this time could be half an eyeball next time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how she would say it as well. Right? <laughs> but this is like post, um, I don't know if him and Lavender have completely broken up yet, but they're yeah, they about have. To... Yeah, he's, he's hiding from her in this chapter, so I think they have. Well, right. he has, she hasn't clearly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Hermione's already trying to kind of get on his good side and show his show her interest a little bit a little bit more. I think maybe this yeah. is one way of her doing that. Um, but it's, it's definitely after sweet. the Christmas scene where she's she's had a moment of reflection and actually understood what she's feeling and the path that she wants to take in the future now i think so you can mm. definitely start seeing her kind of being softer and, and um trying to be more supportive when she's in the right mood <laughs> yes <laughs> not always after, after passing an exam she's going to be in a really good mood so <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well done hermione and we're going to be talking about Felix Felicis a good bit um, in this conversation. We may jump around and keep coming back to it. But the first thing Harry says, or not says, but he thinks when um, presented with the idea of using it for the purpose of getting the memory is that he's been kind of saving it all year, maybe subconsciously, because he thought he might use it to try to get with Jenny. And all of a sudden, I'm like, hold up. Um... It's not quite a love potion, but that still seems a little untoward. <laughs> like, clearly it's not forcing someone to like you if they don't. But I, I just have to wonder, like, how far does the Felix go to help someone? And does it have some kind of moral compass? Like, if you use it to try to kill someone easier, is it going to let you do that? Is it useful for any old thing that is in your head that you want to do? Like, would it help you coerce someone to like you or coerce someone to sleep with you? Or I don't know. It seems like there could be some nefarious uses to it. I think it would help you do whatever you wanted, even if that was coerce someone or kill someone. Because Harry, in a way, coerces Slughorn to give him the memory. Because Slughorn would never have given Mm. him the memory if those circumstances weren't exactly like that. So I do think that Felix can be used for morally dubious things as well. I'm not entirely sure, though, because it's a good luck potion. So I guess it comes down to the definition of good, and I guess kind of the Wheel of Fortune and and the concept of luck in, in, in its kind of entirety as well. For instance, if it was Malfoy taking it, would it have made the vanishing cabinet work for example or would it perhaps have led him down a different path that maybe took him away from Voldemort and brought him to safety like how much control over Felix do you actually have or is it Felix kind of lays the path for you I think Felix makes you realize your intentions whatever they are but that's how I see it as a completely as something that functions outside of morality yeah, I think I do too. Like, I don't like that, but I feel like it could be used for that because um, Draco was trying really hard to win it in that yeah. lesson. And I'm sure that that's the purpose he was going to use it for. Whether it would have worked or not remains to be speculated, but at least in his mind, he thought that would help. And maybe it would have. Oh, I don't know. I just, like, I I really like the idea of this potion, but I also am a little weirded out by it. <laughs> I guess that's why it's so heavily restricted and things like you're not allowed yeah. to use it in sports because it would affect, you know, the morality of the competition. So mm-hmm. I guess that kind of gives us a clue that the potion doesn't have a control over morals. It, it's just making the person lucky. Mm. But you know, there is a reason why they call it getting lucky. So. 
Do you think that Harry and Ginny would have gotten together without this little nudge from Felix in yes. this book? Mm, not, ne- mm, not sure about in this book, but definitely eventually. <laughs> yeah, it might have taken a little longer, but I, yeah, I, I would agree. I think they would have. But it is interesting that Felix helped him with that quest, even though that wasn't the one on his mind when he took it. Yeah. And helped the whole getting rid of Lavender thing a little bit more because she sees just Ron and Hermione coming out of the dorm because Harry's under the invisibility cloak. See, that's not a very moral way of getting rid of someone, is it? Ron should have spoken yeah. to her. So if, if Felix was a kind of moral compass, then that probably wouldn't have happened that way. I guess that's all about making Harry's life easier, isn't it? Because true. Lavender's a bit of a pain for all of them at that moment. So that's true. Yeah, it, it, it's all of the, all of those strands of Harry's kind of consciousness, all of the things that he would like to happen happen with Felix. So yeah, I guess it is an element of control. But it, then it's also the things in your subconscious that are things that you're not necessarily planning on doing, but also happen with Felix. So mm-hmm. and like how I mean, this is different chapter, so I'll only make a short tangent but the way the da uses the rest of it later in the book to help them against the death eaters um Mm. like if the Mm -hmm. death eaters had also taken some would it just be a draw um (laughs) because they would both be just as lucky (laughs) i guess they just have to keep fighting until it wore off yeah i guess so And that was actually brought up in the last episode. They have an interesting conversation about that. So you should definitely listen to episode 140 if you have more thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Rosie, do you want to read one of our listener questions? Absolutely. So this is from Evelyn, who is EvelynBlake712 on Twitter. Um, And they say, I always thought Felix Felicis was a satire on alcohol, which makes you feel like you're making awesome decisions. And you actually really aren't. I quite like that idea. <laughs> hmm. I think, yeah, alcohol can definitely make you feel like the luckiest person in the world. But yeah. ultimately, yeah, that's not true. Whereas yes. Felix, I think, actually does make you the luckiest person in the world. So the satire is kind of in terms of what would happen if that thing was actually real. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, Drink responsibly, alcohol... folks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but alcohol is more about taking away inhibition yeah. And it doesn't really add anything. Whereas I feel like Felix is heightening your intuition and yeah, other aspects, whatever. Um, I think it does l- let you kind of lose some inhibitions as well, though, because when it does start kind of tugging him down a, a particular path, he doesn't have any kind of qualms about following it. He's not worried about what the potion's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He, and yeah, he like he's happy about it seeming to create an argument between Ginny and Dean and, and um, Lavender and Ron. So I think, yeah, he, he's got no kind of worries about what people will think because of it. He just is set on the path at that moment. Yeah, yeah I definitely see okay. a parallel between the alcohol and the Felix Felicis, especially in how it's described that it makes him feel. So the sense of infinite opportunity and things like that, it does sound a little bit like, when you've had a drink, except it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is kind of, I mean, there is, like you said, Rosie, um, a dulling down of inhibition because when the wine bottles are emptying 
and Harry's worried about being able to do the spell to refill them, but he's never done it non-verbally. But with the Felix, he's like, oh, no problem. And he just does it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's like, it gives you that confidence that you wouldn't have had otherwise. It's, it's kind of like when he does the Patronus in book three, it's like, oh, I did it because I had already done it. So I knew I yeah. could. Uh, so it's kind of removing your, your doubts rather than yeah, kind of anything else. Yeah. I'm sure we will get back to Felix later in this conversation, no doubt. Uh, but real quick, I wanted to read a comment from one of our listeners, Jennifer Rapp on Twitter, um, also at J-E-N-R-R-A-P-P. That's her username on Twitter. And they say, such a funny, whimsical chapter with serious undertones in terms of acquiring Slughorn's memory. The best scene in the film, a hyper Harry, is always hilarious. And I completely agree. This is the best scene in the Half Blood film. The pincers thing yep. kills me. Love it so every much. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. And I mean, I, we knew that Daniel Radcliffe was a good actor already. And especially by this point in his career, he's had several years of experience under his belt. Um, but the way he's able to completely change his personality while he's on the potion is, it's, a wonder to behold. <laughs> I think it's a rare opportunity that we actually get to see some of Daniel's kind of goofiness coming out through Harry because yeah. ha Harry is very much a, a serious character who's always kind of depressed and never really gets to have much fun. But, <laughs> but Dan kind of does know how to goof around a bit more, I think. Um, and it's just really fun to see him kind of being let loose and, and having fun with his characterization in this scene. Definitely. The whole like, well, come on then. <laughs> yeah. Oh <my> God. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my goodness. And I love that, um, I mean, Daniel Radcliffe, since Potter has done a multitude of different parts, ranging mm -hmm. from very serious and even horrific to very funny. And I think I just read recently he's going to be doing a TV show soon that's a comedy with Steve Buscemi. And I'm so looking forward to that because, like you said, I mean, when when Daniel Radcliffe is funny, he is really funny. Yeah. So it was a, definitely a treat to see that in this film. Um, and something else that comes up in this chapter that comes up throughout the books, but I just never really thought to comment on it until now. And I know I just came off an episode praising Harry, but I do have one more positive thing to say about him. I mean, not the only other positive thing, but something very positive that I just didn't think of at the time. Animals love Harry. Like, Hedwig <laughs> adores him and easily forgives him when he's a jerk to her. Fang is always putting his head in Harry's lap. Fox rescues him in book two. Buckbeak bowed to him on his first try. And Crookshanks is always sitting in Harry's lap and purring. It's the cutest darn thing. And it was just in this <laughs> chapter, Fang puts his head in his lap again. And just it reminded me of all the times that animals have been attracted to Harry. And it just made me love him any, even more because animals are typically very good at sensing, you know, good people. So it's just another example of that. And we're yes, all animal definitely. lovers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of the the zoo scene in the very first book as well like when he first yeah. talks with the snake it's like harry really kind of kind of feels for the snake because he also feels like a caged animal kind of at, at that moment of his life so mm -hmm. i think the animals have an affinity with harry but harry has an affinity with the animals as well 
Yeah, it's nice. Caring people are good. <laughs> yes. And I wonder, yeah. too, if part of that is because he did have a cat when he was a baby. He doesn't remember it necessarily, but maybe some of that carried on. Like, just as an example, um, my husband did not have pets growing up, but he had, I think, a cousin or a friend who did have a cat. And he had completely forgotten until we got our cats that he used to love going to that person's house and petting their cat. And the cat loved him. And it just <laughs> was one of those things that had completely just left his mind. He thought he wasn't a cat person. And then all of a sudden we have this cat and it loves him. <laughs> and he's oh. like, oh, yeah, I guess I always have kind of liked cats. I just forget. <laughs> yeah. I, I never had any close contact with animals growing up because my mum doesn't like animals. So I never really had a oh. pet. And then uh, now I'm a, a bit of a cat lady. But all of that started with my husband just, you know, asking if I wanted to get some cats because he's grown up with them and he really loves them. And Aww. yeah. And now, Everyone and now they rule pets. the house. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am a huge proponent for pet ownership. Absolutely. They're fantastic. <laughs> so, Claudia, let's go back to some Felix talk. <laughs> right, so I don't like how Felix is making Harry act because he basically turns him into a master manipulator. He's faking emotions left, right and centre. He's charming people like I mean a little bit like a psychopath especially how he how he turns up the emotions for Slughorn and really just twists it just right so that he gives him the the memory um, that's kind of yeah. scary it is and I had never thought about it that way until I read your comment and I'm like oh my god <laughs> she's right <laughs> it is a little freaky and yeah maybe- I agree Oh, sorry. I think please. Just, just the way um, that he uses Lily in particular. You know, someone who is so very kind of close to the kind of heart of Harry, um, and you know, he he's almost so obsessed with his parents and and what happened to them, um, and how much he loves them and 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 defends them. That to then kind of use it as a a tool in this scene to to get the memory it does seem a little bit callous. Yes, but yeah, that's that, it. that's exactly what Felix does. You know, if you're if you want the luck, you have to manipulate it toward in order to be in that particular situation that will happen to to get the result that you need. Um, so yeah, normal Harry would never do it, but no. Harry with the potion does. So. Felix Harry, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially at this age. You know, maybe when he was younger and he was feeling more sad about his parents' death. Um, this would have come a little more readily to him and he would have yeah. still been feeling those feelings a little more acutely. But he's had so many deaths by this point that it's not that he doesn't care anymore, clearly, but he wouldn't be able to just drum up tears on in, in an instant, you know, thinking about his parents necessarily. So, yeah, that, that that's an accurate um, observation there, Claudia. <laughs> and I also wondered... Like, I can't remember which summer, like, between which school years Tom Riddle murders his his, uh, parents. Um, Or, sorry, not his parents, his father and grandparents. But if this is a thing that Slughorn does with his six years, like, every year, the whole Felix competition, could Tom Riddle perhaps have won it that year? And maybe that's how he got the information about Horcruxes from Slughorn? I think it was the year after the the summer after the fifth year, but that still could have been a lesson that they'd had. 
Yeah, that might explain why Slughorn is so kind of horrified by what he's done if he did kind of admit this great secret because of Felix and then doesn't quite understand why he did it. Yeah. It's an interesting theory. Who knows? But yeah, it was just something that after I read Claudia's comment, I was like, hmm, I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, do you think that Tom would want to use something like that, especially considering, well, we don't know how much he knows about his own kind of conception, but if, if, you know, Merope used a potion to manipulate his father, would he necessarily want to use a potion to manipulate things in, in, in a kind of similarish way? Uh, he manipulates people mm. all throughout the yeah, rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Tom Riddle needed a potion to make him into this sort of charming person who's yeah. a really groomer that people He just like already that. was. Yeah. yeah. Very true. Horrendous. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> So there was uh, something else that struck me, and that's when Hagrid talks about how the other spiders don't let him into the forest, and he says, there's never been a part of the Forbidden Forest that he couldn't go before. And I was wondering if this is the first time he has to actually respect other creatures' land, because so far he's ignored the centaurs' claim to their own land, and he's insisted in going everywhere despite their wishes and insisting that it's his land as much as theirs, but now he's up against an army of spiders that he can't defeat on his own. Hmm. Yeah, that had to be tough for him. Like you said, he's just been roaming the forest, here, there, everywhere, as long as he's been gamekeeper, as far as we know. And this is, yeah, the first time he's actually has a boundary that he can't cross. I guess to some extent the centaurs live on Hogwarts land. So although they do claim it as their own, they do have that kind of intellectual knowledge that, yes, it's their land, but it's also part of Hogwarts and, and those boundaries do kind of cross over. So they respect Hagrid a little bit more. Mm. Um, but where, when the spiders, you know, they, they don't have any kind of care for, for Hogwarts. They, they just need somewhere to live. So they very much do claim that area of the forest for their own. Um, and I, I think, you know, when we see Hagrid going to, to talk to the giants, for example, he knows that he's tre- trespassing on, other, on someone else's land. Mm-hmm. So he does know that there are areas that he, Yeah. So it it he, seems to me like, um, there's a legal kind of dispute between, especially the centaurs and Hogwarts, because obviously we see it from Hogwarts' perspective. So we see it as Hogwarts owning the Forbidden Forest, yeah. but the centaurs clearly see it differently. Yeah. Depends if they were there first. Yeah, which we don't know, of course. No. Mm-hmm. But then you've got an interesting kind of parallel in terms of concepts of indigenous creatures, don't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas I mean, Hagrid really introduced the spiders there. to the forest. So I guess that's another kind of hardship where, you know, they wouldn't even be there if it weren't Hagrid and now he's not allowed to go there. It's that's also hard. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And you would think Aragog would have wanted to teach his offspring. I mean, I know there's... 10 billion of them, but <laughs> give them the history of how he and his mate got there, because Hagrid brought him a mate. He didn't have to do that. He wouldn't have been reproducing <laughs> at true. all if it weren't for Hagrid. <laughs> they all exist because of Hagrid! Yet they still want to eat him. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're just that bloodthirsty and hungry. I don't know. <laughs> Proof that spiders just really are monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did see a video of a peacock spider the other day, and if you've never seen one of those, Google it. It's adorable. 
<laughs> I will do later. I've never seen one. <laughs> they do a little dance. I'm not sure if it's a mating dance or a try to scare off something that's trying to eat it dance. They have this little <laughs> thing in the back that pops up, kind of like a peacock. It's very colorful. And they raise their arms. Like They have two arms. I mean, they have a bunch of legs, obviously. But two of their <laughs> legs, they raise straight up into the air. And they just dance back and forth. And it is one of the funniest, cutest things I've ever seen. <laughs> so there are some spiders that aren't monsters. Unless those are poisonous and I just don't know. It's possible. <laughs> um, Next point, I I had to bring this up. I could not let this go. <laughs> Sorry, Allison. I'm going to beat this one into the grave. Um, regarding wizard miners being given alcohol. And I'm going to let you two speak to this um, <laughs> as far as how it is in the rest of the world in a moment. But Allison is on this quest <laughs> to keep saying that butterbeer is not alcoholic and it's only intoxicating to house elves, not humans. But in this chapter... Slughorn brings wine, straight up wine, which is unquestionably alcoholic, and he has no hesitation to give 16-year-old Harry half a bottle of wine just to start with. (laughs) So clearly, it's not as big of a deal for teenagers to drink alcohol, at least in the UK. Um, (laughs) So I think this is just another thing that could open up the door to... Butterbeer can be a little alcoholic. It's not the end of the world. But please, I would like to hear from you two um, about alcohol over in the UK, because I know the laws and the ages and so forth are very different there. Yeah. So I've always seen butterbeer as a bit like ginger beer, which is generally not alcoholic, but can be. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I would say butterbeer is not alcoholic, apart from to house elves. Um, but I also know, you know, um, yes, the the legal drinking age here is sixteen. Um, no, but it's, no, it's, no, it's 18, not, sorry, I'm eighteen sure. here, sixteen yeah. in Germany. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're also allowed to have um, drinks. You can you can have a drink with dinner as long as your kind of legal guardians are okay with it when you are younger. Um, it's very much kind of up to your parents or your legal guardians to kind of take on that responsibility. And yes, teenagers find a way of drinking anyway um, <laughs> when they are younger. That's kind of one yeah. of those teenage things to do. Um, but I don't think Slughorn would have ever kind of thought that he was bringing the wine for Harry. You know, he you know, wine is something that you do give as a a gift at funerals and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It is a thinking of you kind of gift, um, and it is a, a kind of toasting the memory of someone kind of gift. Um, especially because Slughorn wants to get Hagrid drunk because he wants to get the venom from Aragog. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the intention there. He's kind of just forgetting that Harry's involved. Um, <laughs> as Slughorn, Slughorn is kind of want to do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't think this is a, a, a major deal and Harry doesn't even drink any of it. So, But that's just yeah. because of the Felix telling him not to. I mean, <laughs> Earlier in in this book, he does drink Dumbledore's um, elf made mead, doesn't he? This is true. Yeah, oh. but so, again, I don't think he'd ever. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> is he drinking to excess, or is he just having a drink? Oh yeah, yeah that's I the don't thing. Think he's right? drinking to excess at all. I just I'm trying to make the point that in the UK, especially um, because over here in America, 21 is the drinking age, and we can have. I still can't even nothing. believe that. Yeah, yeah it seems, when, it when seems I went totally to Chicago, crazy. when I went to Chicago, I was. 
20 and I'd completely forgotten that that was even a thing that you, that I wouldn't be able to drink over there and then I wasn't even allowed to go into the bar like not even to get like a coke or something it was yeah it was ridiculous it seems so odd to me as well when when I was uh, 16 in Germany the legal drinking age was 16 as it still is but also the legal smoking age was 16 so you could smoke mm-hmm. and drink at age 16 wow um, and then when I moved over to the UK, I noticed a cultural difference even between Germany and the UK. So here, even though I'm 26 now, I still get ID'd in, in pubs and in supermarkets when I buy alcohol, yeah. which hasn't happened in Germany since I was <laughs> maybe 17 or 18. So it's, I see the UK as a sort of step between the, the liberal attitude of the Germans and the kind of restricted restrictive attitude of the americans yeah Yeah. we're we're very aware that we do have kind of a binge drinking culture so we are very aware of saying that this isn't the right thing to do and making sure that everyone is aware that you have to be at this kind of age yeah Um, but yeah i've never understood (laughs) i've never understood the drinking age in america considering you guys have gun laws you know all that kind of thing (laughs) like how how is it not safe to drink until you're 21 but you can have a murderous weapon that's absolutely fine and you can drive at like age 15 right yes (laughs) you guys are crazy and you can join the puritan attitudes (laughs) you can go to war at 18 but you can't drink it's just like no that's stupid (laughs) (laughs) enjoy that hangover of of british culture from the tudor period or whatever It's definitely true that alcohol is not as big of a deal here than from what yeah. from what it sounds like it is in the US. Well, and I think that's why they build it up as this forbidden thing for so long that when people reach that age or close to it and they have friends who can get it for them, whatever, they're, they're at college or whatnot, they overdo it because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it's this forbidden thing I haven't been able to have my entire life. Now let me drink two... <laughs> huge bottles of liquor in a night and think that's smart you know they just they have no concept of what is appropriate and what's going to make them horribly ill because they've had no access to it um and no education about it up until that point so i think it's much smarter to have i mean maybe 16 is a little young but or whatever but if if your parents are there and they're supervising and only giving you something that's slightly alcoholic i think that's wiser i mean it's kind of like sex education if you teach it from a young age and you make it just a normal part of life then it's not such this big mystery when you're a teenager and people are out getting pregnant because they don't know any better um it's yeah knowledge is power exactly exactly but (laughs) if you want more information on that there was also a great comment section on episode 237 where we brought up the whole butterbeer issue um and user badger pride over on the main site had some good comments um on that topic so feel free to go check that out and leave some comments of your own if you would like because i'm never gonna let that die so (laughs) (laughs) but also along the same lines house elf poison tasting that's not cool slughorn no it's not Hermione would have a thing or two to say (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah she would lose her mind if she knew that happened like (laughs) harry was very wise not to tell her because oh my god um although i wonder if winky volunteered because she is so depressed and hates life anyway she'd probably be like i don't care if it kills me i'll drink it off Oh, that's such a sad idea. It is. I just, I yeah. 
I don't know if he just went to the kitchens and just, okay, first elf I see, hey, you, come here. I don't know. But... <laughs> I am very slightly judging Harry for not speaking up to Slutcorn and also for not mentioning it to Hermione. I can see why he didn't speak up because he was trying to get to the memory. But mm-hmm. he could have done something about it, right? Yeah, or at least told Dumbledore at some point. <laughs> like, please order all of the elves never to do this, because that's not cool. Oh. Poor house elves. Yeah. Free the house elves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few things in this chapter that make me a little ashamed that my username used to be Slughorn's Trophy Wife. Um... <laughs> oh, that was you. <laughs> yes, that was me. <laughs> Like, he, he still has some redeeming qualities. He's he's fun, but he's a complete coward. And he has he won't admit to the prejudices that he still sort of has, but he still has them a little bit. And he definitely does some things like this that I'm sure when he was young were completely just that's what wizards did. But that's what what house elves were for to abuse and use it. Yeah, yeah. Slughorn's oh. like everyone's slightly racist uncle at Christmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so yeah, mm. smacking my head a little bit there. <laughs> Shame. Uh, but I did have to bring up, and this was mentioned in episode one forty, but I I had to say it again. I love so much the Rupert reference in this chapter when Slughorn gets Ron's name wrong and accidentally calls him <laughs> Rupert. And I I don't know if Joe's ever actually come out and said, yes, that was definitely on purpose, but it had to be. Come on. <laughs> had yes, to right. be. Definitely. <laughs> and that just, it made me wonder if any other um, author has ever done that. Um, if there was a TV series or a movie made about something they were writing and they loved one of the actors so much that they stuck their name in as an homage to them. Can you think of any examples? I can imagine an author doing that in the hopes of that per- that, that actor would then play the role. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> well, and I know in, I'm pretty sure it was the most recent Corman Strike novel, um... I'm going to forget the title. The third one? Career of Evil. Yeah. Um, Oh, I had a tweet about it. Now I'm going to forget exactly all the names that were in it. But there were several. There was an Emma. There was a Oh, Emma Watson's name dropped, isn't she? In that one. In one of them. It's actually her full name. Emma Watson's name dropped. Was it her full name? I think so. I think it's actually about her picture uh, on the cover of a magazine or something like that. Oh, I, I mean, I think I might be making this up completely, but it kind of rings a bell. It's definitely possible. Um, but I just, I noticed that there were characters named Emma, Dan, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember if there was a Rupert. And there was a, oh, I've forgotten the name now, but it was, it was a last name that she also had used in book one for Ooh, just okay. one of the students in Harry's year that got sorted by the sorting hat. Mm. We don't hear of them ever again. But, <laughs> but she likes to reuse names then. Yeah. They're also very common English names, but yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But I like to think that she's just throwing them a little extra bone. Yeah, she probably is. Yeah. I do know a lot of authors who do kind of use friends' names and things just as a little, here you go, token in their books. So I can see it happening. (laughs) Nice. Oh, and I just thought of another one I came across recently. Um, The actress who played... 
I think it's um, Lily Luna. So Harry and Hermione's youngest in the epilogue in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Muggle Harry just... Ginny. Sorry. <laughs> Where is my brain? Yes, Harry and Jenny's youngest. Uh, MuggleNet did like a happy birthday to her on Twitter recently. And I noticed that her last name, I, I am assuming it's pronounced the same way, even though the spelling was different, is Bastigue, which is a name Ooh. that was used in one of the Corman Strike novels. I think yeah. the first one. Yeah. Um, so again, it's like, oh, is that where she heard that name? I mean, is that a common name to you guys? Not that I know of. <laughs> it's 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 an Italian name, right? It sounds yeah. Italian to me, but I don't think it's common even in Italy. Yeah, so it's probably yeah, it's probably she heard it and thought it was an interesting name, so she, you know, authors are magpies; they find the things that interest them and, and borrow them for their work. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just another example. Why not? We yeah. love you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> now it becomes like an Easter egg or a treasure hunt. <laughs> it does. Spot the names. If any of you listeners have spotted her doing this in other with other <laughs> names or in other books, please tell us. Yes, I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Claudia, I can't wait to hear your next point. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Um, every time I read a book and there's a scene that's just between men with no women present, I wonder if that's <laughs> how they actually act. <laughs> so. Is this a normal way to socialize between men? Because I always feel like men uh, don't tend to be very emotionally open with each other. But here, three of them, I mean, Harry only play acting, but they all get drunk and then they sing a very sad song and they hug each other and cry. I, I just wonder how realistic that is. It's a shame that we're a woman on this episode. I know. Yeah. With the wrong panel. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I can't it's that think kind of a of... time in my life where I've seen men do that come to think of it (laughs) i mean the whole kind of sea shanty genre (laughs) is is full of old drunk men so (laughs) Mm. yeah folk music as well yeah it's that kind of getting drunk and singing at the because you know before the days of of radio and tv and all of that kind of thing your entertainment was a piano at a bar so Mm. yes maybe it comes from that still (laughs) I don't know. I guess it, it kind of goes with like football songs and chants as well, soccer songs, whatever. Um, yeah, that's a good parallel. I think we need to bring this back, okay, male listeners. Next time you get drunk, I yeah, want you let to... us know. Do you sing songs while drunk? <laughs> yeah, sing please songs. record a version of Odo the Hero as well, because I'd love to hear that. <laughs> yep, hugging, crying, singing. We want to see it. Send us a video. <laughs> And what was this you had about unicorn hair? Okay. So this is so nitpicky, I genuinely don't mind if this gets completely cut out. <laughs> no, 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 I want you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Slughorn mentions, because he's interested in Hagrid's unicorn hair, because it's so valuable, and he sort of says that it's worth ten galleon a hair, so this is when he toasts to friendship, to generosity, to ten galleons a hair. But in book one, I remember Harry buying a whole wand, which may contain a unicorn hair, for seven galleons. So how does wizarding economy work here? I don't think Ollivander's underselling his his labour here. Hmm. Harry's wand is a phoenix feather, not a unicorn hair. 
Yeah, but I'm just assuming that they're all yeah. uh, relatively the same value. I don't know. Decor values, maybe they are more expensive. But surely phoenixes are rarer than unicorns, and a unicorn has more tail hairs so. than a phoenix has feathers. Yeah, true. Yeah. But I guess you also can't remove the hair to use it for other purposes. Um... I mean, I also, Slughorn's very drunk, so maybe he's exaggerating. <laughs> that's also maybe. Possible. Oh yeah, maybe that's just po- you know when you have something you find in your that's attic, just like you're gonna a million pounds. Wizarding edition. <laughs> Slughorn would totally present that, though, wouldn't he? He would. Yeah. <laughs> and this was just kind of a throwaway line. Um, but Harry says something or thinks something about Hagrid talking about Bowtruckle husbandry. And all of a sudden my brain went to Picket in Fantastic Beasts. And I'm like, oh, I want to hear that speech about Bowtruckle husbandry. And then it made me wonder, like, if Hagrid ever met Picket, like, how long do Bowtruckles live? And if he ever met Newt, did he still have Picket? And oh. Ooh. That's know. cute. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, I love both Wait, Wait, how old is Hagrid? Like same age as Voldemort, right? Or slightly younger? Yeah, right around the same age. Yeah, so that's too young to be in Fantastic Beasts, isn't it? Oh, is yeah. it though? <laughs> Could we have a baby yeah. Hagrid? Well, let's see. <laughs> if it ends in 45, which I think is the year Tom Riddle graduates Hogwarts. Ooh, okay, okay, so then... the, yeah, so we should see. Well, we there is potential to see Hagrid at Hogwarts at some point. Then, if it does have yeah, an overlap with some th- Riddle School years, mm-hmm. isn't there the theory that Newt gave Hagrid Aragog? Yeah, I yeah. Like that theory. I Who really knows? Just... Perhaps we'll see a tiny baby half giant. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like even if the Aragog theory is not right, I just I want them to meet so bad because they yeah. So I mean, they've got such similar values. <laughs> yeah, and maybe oh, I really hope they do. Maybe that's one of the things that got Hagrid into beasts was meeting Newt at a young age, and he was just really influenced. Or maybe Newt was his and- care of magical creatures teacher. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> Now we're completely off episode, guys. <laughs> yes, please. Focus no. back. <laughs> All right, back on topic. <laughs> Rosie, why don't you hit us with another comment slash question sure. from our listener? So this is from Genevieve Bushmayer on Facebook, and they say, I'm still not entirely convinced that Felix Felicis even provides luck so much as boosts intuition. Unless the potion somehow has the ability to also affect the trajectories of other people at the same time. As in, would Slughorn have been collecting venomous venomous tentacular clippings at that moment if the potion hadn't been pulling the strings? Or would the potion have led him to Slughorn regardless of where Horace was at that moment? At any rate, Harry wasn't lucky when he was talking to Slughorn about his mother. He was correctly intuiting the correct emotional moments to invoke... To, sorry, this is a really hard one to read. He was correctly <laughs> intuiting the correct, correctly intuiting the correct emotional moments to invoke to get Slughorn to divulge the memory. To that end, I don't know that Harry could have touched on the right emotional notes to have gotten the desired result without the help of the potion. Unfortunately for him, he revealed himself to be largely emotionally obtuse up to that point. <laughs> so we have no reason to believe he would have known on. He would have known. 
He would have known on his own to take the conversation where he did. Don't know why that was so difficult to read. <laughs> wow. That, yeah, that so I think this goes comment. back to what we were saying earlier on about, you know, Felix makes things manipulative and Harry on his re- on his own would never kind of go down some of the routes that he went down. Mm-hmm. Um, no. He, he does not have the emotional intelligence at that point. Yeah. That. Yeah. Ron's not the only teaspoon. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Oh, that I'm not well sure fit. if it does. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure if it does affect the trajectories of other people, though. Like, I do think, you know, if Slughorn wasn't down at the um, Venomous Tentacular, then it would have taken him, you know, a different route. You know, yes, I'm going yeah, down to see Hagrid, but I think I'll stop by the third floor first or whatever. Like,. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have taken him to where he needs to go rather than take others into his path quite as much. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, because it, it felt like Slughorn had already been there talking to Professor Sprout for quite some time yeah. when Harry met up with him there. So I think you're right. Um, though it did seem and to affect Jenny and, uh, well, Lavender slash Ron. Um, but they were already in the vicinity. They didn't get drawn into the effect. That's true. Harry was, and it was it was Harry actually bumping against uh, Ginny, which made Dean, you know, which started the whole argument. Mm -hmm. But did Felix make him bump into her? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Probably makes Harry bump into her, not Dean. It didn't affect Dean. Yeah, Dean's like, and also, I didn't touch you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. When Harry gets to the door, like he thinks that he's been on the path to go and see Hagrid. So like that's his route. He's going very much from Hogwarts Castle down to Hagrid's hut. Whereas when he gets to the door, he says, actually, I'm going to take a detour. I'm going to go to the... Um, the I've forgotten the word. Greenhouses. greenhouses. Thank you very much. Don't know why that word disappeared from my brain then. <laughs> so yeah, that it, you know, if, if it was the potion affecting other people, then Slughorn would be coming back from the greenhouses and would be on the path as Harry is going down to the hut rather than Harry having to go a different route. Mm-hmm. And I like how once Sprout, you know, says goodbye and leaves, um, Harry just has this, it comes over him, oh, this is the time to reveal myself, and he just whips yep. the cloak off right <laughs> from my <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> there we go with the inhibitions thing again. Like, yeah. he knows that that cloak is secret, he shouldn't be revealing it to other people, and yet here he is just brandishing himself out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and Slughorn never oh, mentions it again. <laughs> does that does that happen in the in the movie? Because I've not really seen that one, so I don't know how it, how the scene plays out. Um, no, he doesn't use the cloak. I don't think. No, I don't think oh, he okay. does. But he kind of just he pops up by a window. I think it's quite a yes. funny moment. Yeah, Ms., uh, Prof- Professor Sprout's not in that scene in the movie. He's no. just kind of clipping the things through the window of the greenhouse, and Harry just appears at his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, I forget what he says there, but it's something really funny. But whatever. <laughs> I'm going to have to go watch that scene again after we finish this episode. Yes, it sounds like I'm going to have to watch that whole film. <laughs> oh, and here's another listener that's happy about something we've already talked about. But please, Rosie, read this one too. <laughs> so this one is from Weensy the Potterhead, which uh, who is Weensy the Pooh on um, Twitter. And they say, can we talk about Odo the hero whose one snapped in two, which was sad? <laughs> it's so sad. It's the best line. <laughs> it is. It's so good. 
Like, but also, it really builds in a really nice parallel between Odo and Hagrid, because Hagrid's also... One was also snapped in two, which was sad. Oh. But, like, it doesn't even rhyme in the song, right? I, no. <laughs> I didn't think so. It's just sad. <laughs> it does. It, it rhymes to, to the place that he'd known as a lad. Oh, okay. okay. Even better. It's more of a limerick. (laughs) Nice. I like that. Yeah, I was actually considering doing a little recording of this at some point, just for myself, (laughs) you know, with my ukulele or something, just singing that that verse. Please do. Please do. (laughs) Please, please, please. (laughs) I would adore that. Um, But this also made me really curious, and I know other fans have wondered about this in the past, um, as to why his wand was snapped. Because according to Dumbledore's notes in Tales of Beetle the Bard, wands are typically burned or buried with their owners. Um, the actual quote is, The general practice of burying or burning the wand with its owner once he or she has died also tends to prevent any individual wand learning from too many masters. So it just made me wonder why Odo's was snapped. <laughs> I think it's because of what happened to Odo earlier in the song, because we don't know the first part of this ballad, but they laid him to rest with his hat inside out, which is clearly not standard either. So maybe he messed up so spectacularly that that's just what happened to to him. Good point. So he's a hero, but he's bad at it. (laughs) I don't know. I just don't know. Maybe it's an ironic name. Maybe he's really not the hero. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's just for rhyme effect as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or he was so completely the opposite of a hero that he got the nickname Oda the Hero. Oh, I like it. That's very Wizarding World, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's all funny. <laughs> it's very, very funny. <laughs> I just, yeah, the the scene of of Robbie and um... Oh, my brain! What's wrong with it today? Nope, his act, his name's completely gone from my head. Oh, um, Jim Broadbent? Jim, that's one. Jim Broadbent, thank you. The scene, sure. scene of Robbie Coltrane and Jim Broadbent singing that song is good. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Proper funeral dirge stuff. <laughs> and Hagrid just collapsing from yeah. his drunkenness. <laughs> do they sing the song in the film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> oh, so I don't even have to make up my own melody to this. I think it, it's a bit like the Hogwarts song where it's very different from how I ever pictured it when I was reading it myself. Um, okay. But it, it does work for the scene, so it's good. <laughs> and if you don't like their melody, please feel free to make up your own. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you ready for another comment? Sure. Okay, this one is from Aaron Hancock, who is Broadwayboy526 on Twitter. They say, I love the movie's idea of Lily giving Horace the fish. I kind of wish that that was in the book. Also, it's the first time I felt bad for Horace, and you can really tell how damaging this memory is for him. Yes, Aaron, yes! I agree so hard. (laughs) I think the movies do kind of make Slughorn a bit more of the lovable dolt of a a professor. Like, they definitely kind of make us feel bad for him a lot more than we do in the books. Yeah. Um, He seems a bit more in control and and manipulative in the books, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's still a very damaging memory. <laughs> definitely. And yeah, we see how big of a coward he is in this mm-hmm. particular chapter in, in specific. Um, 
But the fact that he does stand up, even though he's completely drunk in this case when he does it and does the brave thing. But in Deathly Hallows, he also does the brave thing and he comes back and fights in the battle. So mm-hmm. he's not a complete coward, just some of the time. Um, but, and I know Michael uh, definitely went on about this in the uh, in episode 140 about this chapter. And I completely agree with him that I wish that that scene with the fish was in the book so bad. It, it sounds just like something Joe would write. And I think it just adds more emotion to that scene. And yeah, it does make us feel a little bit more for Slughorn and his relationship with Lily. Not just that she was, oh yeah, she was this really gifted student I had once and she was popular. Everybody liked her. It's more of a personal, like, I was actually her friend and she gave me this beautiful gift kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I do love well, that. Ginny, or at Ginny L on Twitter, has some more thoughts on Slughorn, which kind of go along these same lines. Um, they say, He must have known that Tom Riddle was Voldemort. What was he terrified of by not giving his true missing memory? Was he actually a Voldemort supporter? And he must have known or at least suspected that Voldemort had used Horcruxes. So, yes, the films make us feel a lot kind of more sad for him, and yes, this kind of memory that Harry drags up is it's sad and damaging and, and we can kind of see a true emotion there but at the same time he still doesn't actually give up the right answers and and you know it it, it is still very much the coward's response to everything going on where he doesn't admit how much he knows about Voldemort and um his kind of responsibility over that factor yeah, it is interesting that Harry has to say, like, don't you want Voldemort to fail? Yeah. Like, you would think that'd be obvious, but it, it wasn't. Because um, he'd been hiding out in muggle houses for years, just avoiding the problem instead of actually picking a side. Um, I don't think he was a, ever a Voldemort supporter, but he was clearly so ashamed of his own part in the rise of Voldemort even though he and Dumbledore were the only people who knew about it, that he wanted to block it out from his own memory, I guess. So yeah. I think, yeah, I also think he might have benefited a bit from, you know, some of the Death Eaters, perhaps, you know, if, if he's good friends with um, Malfoy, for example, or, you know, if he's, if there are people of pa- in power who are influential, that were part of his kind of favorites, you know, part of the slug club, then yeah. he's not going to say no to that that kind of influence. Um, so he, although he might not have been a full Voldemort supporter, he may still have benefited from some of the things that happened under Voldemort. So he's not going to be outspoken in case those people turn against him as well as Voldemort yes. himself. Yeah, good point. He definitely puts his own comfort above yeah. other people. Yeah. Though I've always wondered and maybe this is one reason he was hiding out i would have thought him knowing about the horcruxes would have made him a target because voldemort doesn't want anyone else to know that and he i would assume knows that slughorn understood that that wasn't just a academic question after all um once he turned into what he was like if i were voldemort i think i would want to eliminate that yeah, I think that must be the the main reason why Slughorn was hiding at the beginning of the book. And I think mm-hmm. that might be one of the reasons why Dumbledore was so interested in bringing him back as well. That 
Dumbledore must know that something happened um, and and has kind of had a little bit of a clue as to what that would be and he knows that that memory exists and that it can be kind of retrieved somehow mm-hmm. so I think it it's very much that kind of trigger point and that guilt that makes Slughorn afraid I don't think he would be a target unless this had happened um, mm-hmm. so there would be no other reason for a very successful Slytherin um, to to be quite as afraid as he seemed to have been at that, at that beginning of the book. Yeah, Rosie, you used the word guilt just now, but I wonder if there is a difference in this case between guilt and shame, because I think yeah. if Slacon was feeling guilt, then he would have done the opposite and he would have gone to Dumbledore and tried to help him as soon as possible. But what he actually feels, in my is opinion, shame. is shame, so he doesn't want anyone to know about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that clarification, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I'm so glad he does the right thing in the end and redeems yes. himself. <laughs> I don't want to not yeah. like Slughorn. He's so likable. <laughs> he is. He's cute sometimes. <laughs> yeah, some of the time. Well, and this... Harry is finally successful at the end of the chapter. Yes. Go Harry. Go Harry. Even and if... go Ron's plan. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, well done, Ron. <laughs> Yes, one of the other reasons that Voldemort is finally defeated, Ron Weasley, between this <laughs> and getting the basilisk fangs from the Chamber of Secrets to kill the Horcruxes. <laughs> and he played chess ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he's made mistakes along the way, he learned from them and he, he definitely made up for it in the end. Yeah. So was there? Did you have any other thoughts on this chapter, either of you? It was just so just much that fun. it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I, yeah. It, it's a really. Although there are a lot of kind of emotional, sad things that happen in it, it's also such a relief in in you know to have this humorous moment in a, in quite a dark surrounding. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a it's a breath of fresh air to have goofy Harry. Um, going along with his pincers <laughs> yes it's one of it's one of the best written chapters as well it's like there's no sentence out of place yeah. and that's yeah. how i feel about the book as a whole it's very tight it's very well yeah written. but this chapter in particular is just such a good example of it it almost sings doesn't it like the words yeah. are kind of it's almost lyrical it's really Ooh, nice yes dang i've got all kind of quotes i want to pull from you today <laughs> <laughs> i love that it kind of makes me wonder what kind of mood joe was in when she wrote it um, did she do things on purpose to really cheer her up and get her in the right well, frame of mind? Maybe she'd had some Felix yeah. before writing it. <laughs> or some elf wine. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's brilliant. And yeah, one of the many reasons this is my favorite book. So glad to have been on this episode with the two of you. Um, and Claudia, again, thank you so much for being on with us. You were a true pleasure and have had so many wonderful things to say. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed being on here. And it's always good to nerd out about Harry Potter with other people rather than just on my own. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and tell the listeners your cat's name. They need to hear this. Right. I have two cats. Uh, one's called Minerva and the other one's called Beetle. And they're both very adorable. <laughs> and I post so about them a lot on like Twitter and Instagram. So. <laughs> what are your usernames so people can follow you? All right. So um, 
I actually have a YouTube channel, if you don't mind me plugging that. Go for it. Because on, on that channel, I do a series on women in Harry Potter, where I talk oh about a different woman in Harry Potter in every episode. My channel is called Spinster's Library. Uh, it's generally about books, but from there, you can find my Instagram, which is entirely cat pictures, and my Twitter <laughs> as well. <laughs> and on the Alohomora page, uh, I'm, I don't think I'm actually on the new one yet. On the old one, I was obviously Minerva the Flufflepuff. Oh, excellent name. Cool. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> excellent. Well, thanks again. And if you guys would like to nerd out a bit more about Harry Potter, you can listen to our next episode of Alohomora, which will be on death and its relation to the Harry Potter series. So quite Ooh. a serious topic. Bit yeah, we go from <laughs> one extreme to another. <laughs> Super happy, funny episode. <laughs> but it'll be great you should totally tune in and if you would like to be on the show like claudia you can visit our website at alohomorapodcast.com and choose be on the show follow the instructions there to send us your audition and you can also visit the topic submit page to tell us what you would like would like to hear us talk about or what you would like to talk about with us if it's not one of the drop down options on the be on the show page uh, to do that, you just need a microphone and a pair of headphones. And if you are chosen to guest host, we will walk you through the rest. And if you don't necessarily want to lend your voice to the actual episode, we would still love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter at MN, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash open the Dumbledore. Our website is alohomorapodcast.com. Make sure you're going to the new website, guys. Um, yes. Our YouTube is youtube.com forward slash MN, and our email is alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And one more reminder to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash alohomora. And a huge thanks again to Vincent Barbudo for sponsoring this episode. Yay! And Woo-hoo! you as well can sponsor us for as low as a dollar a month. And be sure to check out our higher tiers for access to Dumbledore's office, episode sponsoring, decals, chapter readings with Michael, vintage alohomora t-shirts, and chats with the hosts. So thanks again for listening. I'm Katie. I'm Rosie, and thank you for listening to episode 243 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. Snapped into which was sad.